Well, I want to encourage you as we continue this subject of a consideration of children, church membership, and the ordinances to listen to the previous four uh, Sunday school lessons if you have not uh, been here for all of them. Um, They're all important. There's uh, a progress to the things that I've been talking about. Um, And so if you missed any of those, it would be important to listen to them. I haven't gotten many questions uh, really about these things. Um, Again, if you have questions, some points of clarification, feel free to ask me, email me, come to me in between services or afterwards uh, along the way. And so any questions or clarifications, we want to be able to answer those questions uh, for you. Um, I won't go over and review all the things we've talked about so far, except to just say uh, that in the book of Acts, when we look at who was baptized and added to their number, that it explicitly says both men and women, using the words for adult men and women. That there is never any place, not only in the book of Acts, but in the rest of the New Testament, which we see children being baptized. There's no explicit accounts of that, no explicit instruction regarding that. Instead, there is the explicit uh, recording of uh, those who were baptized added to the number of the church being adult men and women. And then we talked about the relationship and order of those three things, baptism, church membership, and the Lord's Supper. They are related. They should not be separated. You should not partake in one, for example, be baptized without joining the church. You should not become a church member without being baptized. You should not be partaking in the Lord's table unless you're a baptized believer. They're related. All three go together, but there's a biblical order to them. Having heard the gospel, being made alive uh, in Christ so as to believe the gospel, um, then a person would be baptized, and that is inextricably bound to being baptized into the body of Christ. That's spiritually a reality. It should be something that a person baptized and identifies with the visible church, with all the responsibilities biblically therein. And then having been baptized as a believer into the local church and that relationship, then we, in an ongoing, regular way, come to the table of the Lord together as a body of believers to remember the Lord's death for us. So they're all interrelated. So part of the application of that to children is they have to be ready for all three of those, um, not just one. Sometimes churches have uh, disconnected those and they or a parent may desire their child to be baptized but maybe not come to the table of the Lord yet or come to the table of the Lord since it appears to be a little more private in the manner in which it's observed but not ready to stand and share their profession of faith and publicly be baptized it shouldn't be that way um, so again for children they have to be ready for all three so that takes some maturity Uh, For it to be spiritually beneficial, there needs to be a knowledge of what baptism signifies, what it symbolizes, those gospel truths that it signifies. Um, There needs to be an understanding, for we don't believe what the Roman Catholics believe in ex opere operato, that is, through the working of the work itself, that the thing itself somehow infers grace or benefits the soul of the individual. No. What is beneficial in the ordinances is that we understand the truths that they portray. 
And that's what feeds our souls, not the act of the things themselves. So there needs to be maturity for that. Also, there needs to be maturity to become a member of the body and the responsibilities that God requires. There's not a junior membership, so to speak. Uh, so when you look in the New Testament, when you became a member of the body, then the instruction regarding, for example, judging those who profess to be believers but living in sin, that would be the responsibility of every member in that regard. So the issue is not primarily age, but maturity. Has a person come to a place of maturity where they understand those things and can fulfill the responsibilities of church membership biblically? And so we believe there needs to be maturity to undertake those things. So there's no uniformity when it comes to age. Of course, age begins to come into the conversation because we begin to ask, well, what age might a person be mature enough in those areas? Um, so, of course, sometimes we talk about those things in relationship to one another, but there's no uniform answer to that. We don't say, well, at the age of 16, at the age of 17, or at the age of 18. For one, there could be a 17-year-old who is not sufficiently mature enough to understand, either mature as a person, or, and they should be, but they might not be, or mature in their understanding of those three things, baptism, church membership, and the Lord's Supper. Uh, so as not to be ready for that, uh, where there might be a 16-year-old who might be. So there are a lot of factors, and I talked about that before. If, some, if a, say, a 16-year-old has just come to faith in Christ, um, that might be different from one who's professed faith in Christ at age 12 and has have, had some years of growing and maturity even in the Lord. And now that 16-year-old's in a different place than another, or one 18-year-old's in a different place than another. So we don't become fixated on the age. However, there are certain ages in which what characterizes children is that they are intellectually immature. They're prone to changeableness and instability. They're easily influenced. They're prone to deception. And that is characteristic we talked about last time of children, especially at a young age. But as they grow to maturity, they become intellectually mature. They're able to understand and comprehend certain things of the gospel. They're not as changeable. They are not as unstable, so to speak. Now they're becoming mature. They're being more grounded if they are believers in the faith. And they're not as easily prone to deceiving themselves or being deceived by others or influenced by others. And so we talked about those characteristics of children. Um, but we want to see young people then as they get to those particular times of life where they're now showing maturity that then is a time where you might even at certain ages begin to encourage them and press upon them if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ then take up your cross and follow him there needs to be maturity to understand that uh, to count the cost and you might be pressing them toward those things at a certain point even to some degree to see if they now, if they profess faith in Christ, desire and should be pursuing those things. So those are just some summaries of things that we've talked about. But again, if you haven't listened to those um, or weren't here for, for the last four sessions, I'd encourage you, go back and listen to them. And not just as you're driving in the car necessarily, but sitting down and really considering, not where your maybe mind is wandering here, but really giving attention to these things. So, this morning and next Lord's Day, 
my desire is to give uh, parents some do's and don'ts, so to speak, regarding children, the evangelism of their children, and how to respond to and cultivate professions of faith in our children. Cultivate meaning as they hear the gospel and they're responding positively, maybe they profess faith in Christ. How do we cultivate that and help them grow as disciples? So when they reach that point of maturity, there's a readiness to partake in uh, baptism, church membership, and the Lord's Supper. So along the way, I'm going to give you some pitfalls, potential pitfalls of parents and ways to avoid those pitfalls. So this morning, I have two main points, and then I'll have some other points next week that will uh, follow up on some of these. But here are the two main points. Parents, be gospel evangelists, not moralistic legalists. I'll explain that more in a minute. And by saying that, please don't take that as I'm uh, saying that you parents are moralistic legalists. I'm a parent, and I do know that through the years I've had to be careful, though, not to let my parenting turn into even unintentionally, to more of a moralistic bent that then maybe can lead my children toward legalism rather than being a gospel evangelist. So parents, be gospel evangelists, not moralistic legalists. And then second point, parents, be teachers. And I'll explain this further in a minute see how it's tied to these things we're talking about. Be teachers, not televangelists. Now I'll explain what that means in a minute. Not that you're prone to be necessarily televangelists, but I'll explain what I mean by that. We're not decision-oriented. We're not just trying to get a decision like a televangelist from those who are listening, uh, but we're teachers of the gospel over the long haul. So let's begin with the first point. Parents, be gospel evangelists and be very careful not to be moralistic legalists. Strive to be gospel evangelists for the sake of your children who are prone, like every other sinner, to be moralistic legalists. That is the characteristic of our unsaved children. And we have to be careful as parents not to, or or just to be mindful of that, lest our parenting begin to fall into the category of just changing their morals or leading them to be moralistic, and then, if we're not careful, even legalists. And the way we do that is the gospel should permeate our homes. The gospel should permeate our parenting. And again, the gospel permeates these things in our parenting and in our homes because our children are sinners who need a Savior. And therefore, as you've heard me say before, the ultimate goal of parenting is not to simply have well-behaved children. It's not to produce successful wage earners. It's not to have well-educated children. That's not the primary goal. It's not to have good-looking children. It's not to have model citizens. Some of those things might be desirable. But they are not the ultimate desire that we have for our children. Your desire for your children must be based on their greatest need, and everything surrounds that. And their greatest need is to be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. As the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 20 and 21, We are ambassadors for Christ, 
as though God were entreating through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He, God the Father, made Him, God the Son, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. And it is good for parents to have that same kind of mindset. Yes, Paul is speaking as an apostle, but this is the desire of every believer for unbelievers and especially for our children. We are to be ambassadors for Christ and we plead with them. We plead with them to be reconciled to God. So your child's greatest need is to be reconciled to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, the ultimate goal is this, to parent in such a way so as to be used as an ambassador of Jesus Christ, to bring your children to salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, and then to be used as a servant of Jesus Christ to disciple those children. So let me repeat that. The ultimate goal is to parent in such a way, so as to be used as an ambassador of Jesus Christ, to bring your children to salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, and then to be used as a servant of Christ to disciple our, those children. For what good is it if we have well-behaved children and they spend eternity in hell? What good is it to have our children become successful in the workplace or successful athletes if they spend eternity in hell? What profit would it be to have our children make lots of money if they end up being separated from God with no hope of salvation? And what would it profit our children if they are very attractive, good-looking, even healthy children if they spend eternity tormented in hell? So we have to parent with the souls of our children in mind. And this is just a good reminder for us as parents in general. Because in the day-to-day life of parenting, we can become so consumed with so many things that we need to give attention to that if we're not careful though we forget as we are disciplining as we are directing as we are changing diapers as we're doing all the things of parenting from the beginning until they leave our homes that the ultimate goal is to see them reconciled to God through faith in Christ their souls is of utmost importance and so the ultimate goal of parenting must be to glorify God by evangelizing and discipling our children. So, as I said, therefore, the gospel must permeate our homes. It must permeate our parenting. So, all of this acknowledges a very important truth. Our children are born sinners, and thus they sin against God. They go their own way, and they are under His wrath. Therefore, they are in need of a Savior. Our parenting, therefore, as you've heard me say many other times, must be gospel-centered. Our discipline must be gospel-centered. Our instruction must be gospel-centered. Our education of our children must be gospel-centered. Because, again, the ultimate goal of a parent is to do so, to parent in such a way, so as to be used as an ambassador of Christ, to bring our children to faith in Christ, and then to be a servant of Christ to disciple our children. So parents, be gospel evangelists. And be careful that you're not moralistic legalists in your parenting. So here is the, the parental pitfall we have to be careful of. Here's the danger that we must guard ourselves from. If we are not careful, 
Our focus can be to bring up our children to be obedient and to have good morals rather than see themselves as sinners under the wrath of God in need of a Savior to rescue them from the danger of their souls. And so we have to be careful of that, always placing it at the forefront of our minds. So to combat that, we must always have biblical truth in mind. And here's part of the biblical truth as parents that we need to be reminded of. Sinners are prone to trust their family lineage. They're prone to trust their works. And they're prone to trust their supposed goodness to somehow earn favor with God. Or to forgive their sins or to get to heaven. So our children, this is very important, like all other unconverted sinners, are prone to trust in their family lineage, their family heritage, their supposed good works and their supposed goodness to somehow reconcile them to God. And this is a particular danger that our children face, especially our children in particular, because they're growing up in families in which the gospel is permeating it. They're they're coming to church. They're hearing the truth. They, in some ways, participate in the life of the church, the visible church. They they come and they hear the gospel. They sing hymns and, and they hear the teaching of the word and they go to various events, even like baby showers or wedding showers or or ladies' prayer, men's prayer, and they go to things and they're hearing it and And they're prone, therefore, to this particular danger. They can be falsely assured of salvation, believing themselves to be Christians, just because they're growing up with all the blessings of having parents who know Christ, parents who are pursuing Christ, and parents who are following Christ. So we need to be aware of that particular danger for our children in particular. Again, they're present And they participate in various aspects of the life of the visible church. They see the work of God in the midst of his people and his church. And therefore, they can be prone to what you might call a vicarious Christianity, where by association with being in a Christian home with Christian parents and being a part in some way of the visible church by attendance and they can be prone to think, well, I'm a Christian. So let me speak specifically to you young people, to you children. Let me just remind you young people that are in here today, you are not born a Christian. Salvation is not because you have Christian parents. It is not by your birth. It is not by your parentage. It is not by your family upbringing. Children, salvation is not by birth. It is not by the faith of your parents. That will not save you. And it's very important for you not to mistake children. Association with the gospel as faith in Jesus Christ. Don't misunderstand that just because your life, not of the choice of your own, from even birth for many of you, is surrounded by gospel and gospel truths and and the church and Christian things. Don't mistake that to be, oh, I'm a Christian. 
And that's very important because, and parents need to be very aware of this, because one of the things we need to discern and pastors need to discern as those children grow older and older and then to more maturity is to discern whether or not they are trusting in Christ or they're trusting in those other things of association with the church as they've grown up or growing up in a so-called Christian home. So children, be careful of trusting in those things rather than Jesus Christ himself. Now, this is important when it comes to the subject of children, church membership, and the ordinances, because as pastors, before we ever would baptize someone, before we ever, no matter the age, but in particular in relationship to children, before, when we think about that subject, baptize them or receive them as members of the church, they need to be able to separate from their parents and their upbringing, so to speak, and their association with Christians. They need to be able to indeed demonstrate by their understanding the gospel, their own profession of faith, the, the fruit of their own life, not because they're being made to do certain things, but because they've been born again and they're bearing the fruit of that. All that needs to happen. And so sometimes, and we'll talk about that uh, in a minute, now, it, really no, not in a minute, it'll be actually next week that I'll talk about it in more detail, um, in which, I don't want to get ahead of myself, I was getting ready to, let me don't do that, but let me just point out that sometimes children are being pressed to these things, not because the children are pursuing it, but because the parents are pursuing it, and so we'll talk about this next week, but Sometimes it can be more for the parents' assurance than for the children's sake. Sometimes it can be more the parents saying, oh, it's time, it's time, rather than the children, the young people who've grown to maturity and now are saying, I want to follow Christ in that regard. And when they get to that point, they have to be able to stand alone. Alone. Not parents answering questions. I'll repeat all this last week. I said I wasn't going to do it next week, last week next week, but um, I repeat again because it bears repeating next week. Sometimes parents, because that's the nature of parenting, we're used to nurturing our children and walking them through certain things. When they get to a point of needing to be, or, or where they should be baptized and join a church and partake in church membership and the ordinances and all those things, they stand alone. Parents, you, at that point, pastors sit down with them and talk to them about these things. I've, as a parent, that's been the case with all of my children who have been baptized and have joined Grace Fellowship Church. It has not been my doing or Angela's doing. It's been they sit alone and they talk to, without me interfering, to a pastor or pastors and have their faith examined, their knowledge of the gospel, all the things that an adult would do. So again... Young people understand that as well. Sometimes children are prone to, well, I want to partake in that as well. I see this when we pass the, the cup and the bread. Children, are, they're, they're interested. They're like, oh, look at that. And they're like, I want to partake because that's the nature of children. They're immature. They're not understanding the weightiness of this. But when it's time, they understand the weightiness of it. And to prematurely push them to that would be to their harm, not to their good. So again, young people, children, be careful of trusting 
in something or someone else other than Jesus Christ. It's not the faith of your parents. Make sure, children, the object of your faith, that which you are trusting in for salvation from hell and the condemnation your sins deserve, is not the fact that you have Christian parents, not the fact that you go to church, and as a result, maybe don't live an unrestrained sinful life like others do. But it's because of your upbringing, not because of your faith in Christ. Make sure, children, you're trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not going to take the time to do this, but let me just say to you parents who are here, I have it in my notes, or listen to the sermon in Philippians chapter 3, verses 3 to 9, where the Apostle Paul is saying, here are the things I count as rubbish, or as the word scubala in Greek could be translated as dung, manure, for the sake of laying hold of Christ. Here are the things he had to realize were of no value before God. His circumcision according to the law of Moses, that he was of the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Um, he was uh, a Jew brought up in the strictest sect of Judaism. And he didn't trust in any of those things when he was saved. He realized he once did. So parents, go over that again and again. You say, I've gone over that. I've taught them that. They've heard it. You can't do it enough. Again, our own children, you, you know that I'm not teaching a moralistic, legalistic uh, way to be reconciled to God in our home. But yet that is how our children were prone because they're sinners. And they have to hear over and over again that you're not saved by that. Don't trust in that. And you point them to the glory and beauty of Christ as Savior. So false assurance of salvation is sometimes based on the blessing of growing up in a Christian home and participating in the life of the body of Christ to some degree. So I just said to children... Make sure the object of your faith, that which you're trusting in, is not the fact you have Christian parents go to church and as a result don't live unrestrained or in an unrestrained sin like others do. But let me speak to you parents particularly concerning this. As parents, we have the responsibility to discipline our children, protect them from certain evils in the world, and even restrain the wickedness of their hearts in various ways. So parents, how can we discern if their good behavior and the fact that they're not going headlong in the sin is because they've been born again by the Holy Spirit, have been regenerated, alive in Christ, and are bearing the fruit of salvation? Or is maybe because so many decisions are being made for them by us about what they can imbibe in and participate in and not? Parents, you see, it... You have to be careful, and I'm not just speaking to you. This is, again, your, your pastors are parents, and some of us have gone through this with uh, our children through years and years, and they're no longer children. They're adults and have been for years. We understand this. It's difficult at times to discern whether this is they're growing up in a Christian home, and what seems to be the fruit of salvation might just be the restraining of their hearts that we are called to do. It could just be that we're... We've raised them a particular way. And so, as I said last week, children, especially young children, are not even faced with some of the temptations and trials that they will be when they grow up and mature. 
Their professed faith is not tested as it will be when they are older. So I would just encourage you parents, be cautious. Now that's not to say you discourage them in their profession of faith. We'll talk about that again next week and the positive aspect of how to cultivate it. They profess faith in Christ. I've said to some parents, here's what we've done. If they have a credible profession of faith, and I have no reason to question whether or not that profession is genuine, then in the home, I treat them as Christians. When I discipline them, I speak to them as a believer of how they ought to please God. But I don't equate that with them. They should immediately be baptized and be members of the church. No, I'm, I'm cultivating. I'm helping them mature. I'm discipling them. So my parenting is that way, and I treat them in that way. But I also, at times, might bring to their attention that, hey, you're young. There needs to be some time of the testing of your faith and an assurance of that on your part, and even assurance to some degree of others, as we observe, is seen as you grow to maturity, as you really are faced with trials and temptations, when you aren't restrained as a young child by parents just saying, no, that's unwise for you to be a part of it. As they grow up and now they're in the world a little more, they have other temptations, now they're driving, they need a phone, maybe they're working, they're playing sports with other unbelievers. Now you begin to see, is this profession of faith bearing fruit in those various situations? So their professed faith is not tested as if, as it will be when they are older. And therefore, this is important, it's not uncommon for parents and others, but parents, to mistake a somewhat moral life that is more connected to the home they are growing up in and the biblical standards parents are rightly applying to their home and their children than it is faith in Christ and true conversion. So this is why we say we need to exercise caution. It's not uncommon, especially parents who so desire, a good desire for their children to be reconciled to God, that at the first indication that maybe, or they profess faith, or they say they believe in something that we bear as fruit, that we just want to, oh, okay, they're Christians now. Be patient, parents. It's not uncommon for parents to even mistake this somewhat moral life that's really cultivated from growing up in a, in a Christian home in certain restraints with faith in Christ when it may not be. So parents, you can do what God tells you to do. You can protect your children from certain sins in, in the world, and you should do that. They should be innocent in regards to evil as they're growing up. And then wrongly think that they're saved because they mistake parental protection and parental restraint with spiritual fruit. We have to be careful with that. And by the way, parents, you may never teach your children that they can be saved by works, and yet they can still trust their supposed goodness. A goodness is not wrought by the Holy Spirit as a result of salvation, but a quote-unquote goodness that's more associated with the home they live in and the church they attend than personal faith in Christ. So parents, you may reiterate repeatedly that they're none righteous, no, not one, and yet they can still believe they're righteous. They can tell you they don't believe that, and yet they're still trusting it. Why? Because they are sinners, and as such, they are prone to base their salvation, especially our children, 
growing up in a religious environment, let's say, they're prone to base their salvation on works and not grace. How many children have assurance of salvation? And how many parents are convinced their children are saved? And then it turns out, upon the testing of that faith in the latter years, that it was more the home they lived in, the moral restraints their parents put upon them, than the work of the Holy Spirit. When they are older and more mature, when they begin wrestling with things more, are now tempted with things that they were not tempted with before, and are considering the direction of their lives. And all those things that are related to now growing to maturity, it is then that it becomes more evident as to whether or not they were converted to Christ or just compliant to what they were taught. So again, there's a need for caution and patience with that. That's why we don't baptize young children. That's why we say there needs to be more maturity because we don't want to perpetuate what I asked you the first Sunday I taught on this when I said how many of you were baptized as children but yet unconverted and therefore were baptized later as a true believer and the at least half if not more of you could say that was me. So patience is important. Parents be gospel evangelists and, and understand your children unconverted are moralistic legalists especially in this context of growing up in a church and growing up in a Christian home. So have the gospel ever before them. And even then, when they profess faith in Christ at a young age, be patient and wait for the older years, the years of maturity, before pressing them to baptism, church membership, and the table of the Lord. Encourage them in their profession of faith. Continue to teach them what the Bible says about the gospel. Cultivate that profession biblically in the home. And as they grow up, teach them what it means to be a disciple of Christ, not just a professor of faith in Christ. For if one has truly come to faith in Christ, then he will follow Christ in discipleship. But at the same time, be cautious. Given what we know about children from the Bible, as I demonstrated last week from the Scriptures, namely children are intellectually immature, children are prone to changeableness, changeableness and instability, and they're easily influenced and more prone to deception. So, be patient, cultivate that, not just profession of faith, but now seeking to disciple them if they profess faith in Christ. But be cautious at the same time. Wait for that maturity to happen. So, parents, be gospel evangelists. Be careful not to be moralistic legalists. Your children are prone to that. Secondly, parents, be teachers, not televangelists. Be teachers. Fathers, bring up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Again, if you've been at Grace Fellowship Church, you, you know what that means. You've heard it preached on and taught on on multiple occasions in various settings. That it is something that we do. It is be bringing them up. It's not a one-time thing. It's not an event. It's a process that is undertaken by years of instruction, the instruction of the Lord. Time is necessary to do that. So bringing them up in the instruction of the Lord means teaching them, teaching them year after year after year. It means teaching them the gospel through the years. 
It's not like, again, the televangelists or the evangelist traveling itinerant evangelists or the crusade where, okay, I got to get them in the setting where they hear the gospel and now we press for a decision. We don't do that as a church with anyone, especially our children. We would not. And you don't do that at home either. We don't want that mindset. No, the gospel must be taught year after year when they're, let's just say, five and six and seven. Of course, earlier ages. I'm just giving examples. And, but yet, what they understand when you're teaching them at five is now, as we know, even as adults, now they're hearing it again at seven. And they're understanding this now. And they've heard this sermon. And they've heard this conversation. They've heard this in family worship. And, and now they hear here. It is taught over years. And I, I compared to televangelists because they're looking for quick decisions. They package the gospel for an emotional response, a decision, a prayer. And if there's any gospel at all, it's as little as possible. An abbreviated or edited version so as to not get people too caught up into the details. Because the goal is a decision for Christ. And if we're not careful... I know we, we don't believe this as parents here at Grace Fellowship Church, but if we're not careful in practicality, we can be looking for, oh, when are they going to make that decision? And, and then they do. Oh, now they say, oh, okay, they pray to prayer. Oh, okay, our work is done. No, it's not. Parents, be teachers, not televangelists. Teach the gospel over the long haul because the gospel must be taught. Now, typically, people believe this. Well, people don't really need to know much of the gospel to believe the gospel. And sometimes they mean this. Well, don't tell people much of the gospel. Why? Because in doing so, you might push them away from Christ. And there's the belief, whether spoken or not, that the more they know, the less likely it is they're going to come to Christ. And that's exactly the opposite. The less they know, the more likely they're going to have false conversions. The more they know, the less likely of false conversions. Some say, well, you teach them too much, it may confuse them. We really don't have to get into that much doctrine and theology. And so you end up with this abridged gospel. This sometimes even edited gospel. It's diminished, it's reduced, it's boiled down. And, and we can have that approach with our children in the home. Let's just give them these basic Things. Well, that's not what we're to do as parents. Parenting is not that. It, and it, sometimes we're not careful. It's no gospel at all. So the method can become how little can we share with a person in order for that person to be saved? And that's simply the wrong question. I contend that it's often true that people don't know enough of the gospel to believe it. They don't know enough of what the gospel is biblically to really place their faith in Christ and rest in Christ. They've only heard some sort of abridged version of the gospel. They don't even really know what it says. Well, parenting is the context in the home where we can not give them a, a, an abridged version of the gospel, but we're teaching them, we're bringing them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, the gospel permeating everything. If we're not careful, then we can end up doing this. Even in our homes, even as parents, growing up, not growing up, maybe you didn't grow up, but our children growing up in a Reformed Baptist church, we still can do this at home. We end up 
using the language, maybe not exactly like this, but approximating, which is, you need Jesus. You just need to, you need Jesus. That's a true statement, you need Jesus. But for what? Accept Jesus into your heart. You need to connect with Jesus. You want a, a life that's whole. You want a fulfilled life. God loves you and offers a wonderful plan for your life. Jesus wants to be your friend. Guess what? None of that's the gospel. And parents, be careful that you're not influenced by those things. Maybe that you don't hear here, but you've heard in years past in churches you've been in. Sometimes we revert to the least common denominator if we're not careful when it comes to our evangelism, even though we don't believe that's the gospel or how people are saved. And so don't just share with your children, Jesus wants to be your friend, or Jesus can't live without you, or ask Jesus into your heart. That's not the gospel, and those things simply aren't true. Jesus can live without you. And there's a particular area when it comes to children we need to be careful of. So, the, the gospel must be taught. Now, as usual... I'd prepared more <laughs> than the time allots. Let me, let me just ask you this, this question. We'll bring it to a close, and I'll pick up here and, and finish next week. Some, some would say, well, didn't Jesus, Jesus, didn't Paul simplify the gospel? We preached Christ crucified. Didn't he simplify it? He just preached Christ crucified. And the answer is no, that wasn't what he preached in the sense of those were his words. He didn't go around saying, Christ crucified, Christ crucified, Christ crucified. No, he went to the synagogues, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, he explained, I'll show you this next week, he took passages of scripture, he explained in detail what that means. Christ, who is Christ? What does the scripture say? They have misconceptions about who the Christ is. Here's what the Bible really says. Here, why do you have to be crucified? And all the things related to that. Paul explained these words from the scripture. I mean, who is Christ? He's God. Who is God? Is there only one God? How can Jesus be God and yet he talks to God when he was here on earth? And who's the Holy Spirit? that you read about in the Bible. He's called the Spirit of God or the Spirit of Christ. What does that mean? Are there three gods? What is this doctrine of the Trinity? You're teaching your children, well, Jesus is God. But He's also a man. He was born. The incarnation, the birth of Christ, God and man. How is that? And why was that necessary? Now you're into the person and nature of Christ. Because that's important. Because Christ crucified, how can God, when they're learning the catechism, God is a spirit and does not have a body as we do, well, he was crucified. Well, how, how and why? Was it necessary that he become a man? And, and why the crucifixion? Well, to bear the wrath of God for sinners. Wrath? Why wrath? And what we were sinners. What is sin? Why does sin bring God's wrath? What is it about God's character that would make him a God of wrath? I thought Jesus was my friend. And bear the wrath of God for sinners, in the place of sinners, 
in their place, substitutionary atonement. Now we're getting into something else that needs to be explained and understood. And what should I do? How can I be saved? Well, faith. Well, what is faith? Faith in whom? You get the point. I mean, these are all, and these are just some of the things that, that need to be explained in evangelism. Not just talking about our children, but in general. Because we're not televangelists just trying to get an emotional response or tell them as little as possible. We want them to understand the whole gospel so that now they come and they rest in Christ. And so parenting is the opportunity to do that. We teach our children the gospel over time. The gospel must be taught. So when we are aware of our, the nature of our children is to be moralistic legalist because they're growing up with the gospel and religion, let's just say, all around them. And so they, and they're hearing things. And they sometimes they're confused. They're hearing me when I preach, talk to believers, not to them as unconverted sinners, about how to live. And so they try to comply. They've turned into moralistic legalists. But then the gospel is preached. But, but that's foolishness to them. <laughs> and they're not grasping it. You, you see, we have to be careful as parents. Gospel evangelists. Our children are prone to be moralistic legalists. And we have to be careful to teach them the gospel over time. Not how little they need to know to be saved. But now we're bringing them up in the discipline instruction of the Lord over time. We don't want to be like televangelists. And when we understand this, it will aid us as parents in pointing our children to Christ. It will aid in fewer false conversions and false professions of faith. It will aid in patience, teaching the gospel over the long haul through the years. And understanding these things, along with what we've already talked about, about the nature of children, intellectually immature, they're prone to changelessness and instability, they're They're easily influenced and prone to deception. It will aid us in patience and not pressing children to be baptized and join a church and partake in communion. It will aid us in being more discipleship-oriented. We'll talk about this next week. Not decision-oriented with our children. Giving them time to mature so as to discern their spiritual state. So, I'll show you this a little more next week about how important it is to teach the gospel. And I'll continue with a few more statements, some more do's and don'ts, and some more pitfalls to avoid. And I'll also explain how we as pastors plan to then aid and encourage the children in our church who have professed faith in Christ, that their faith may be discerned and cultivated as they grow to maturity, at which time, it would be then appropriate for baptism and church membership and coming to the table of the Lord. So let's bow our heads together in prayer. Father, again, we hopefully have a sense of the soberness of these things, the seriousness of these things. And Father, I pray that as we talk about these things next week, that it would become even more clear, Lord, that we wouldn't again be pressing for decisions, but for disciples, seeing the fruit of that in the life of our children, that we, Lord, would not be practically paedo-baptists or practically even Roman Catholic in our understanding of the ordinances, but Lord, truly credo-baptists and understanding why that's 
what we should be biblically. And Lord, I pray that we wouldn't press our children for our sake. And I pray that even the children in this church would understand these things, that they might, Lord, not trust in church membership or the ordinances for their salvation, but would understand that even as they patiently wait for an appropriate time for those things, that their salvation is in Christ. So that then when that time comes, Lord, there's so much joy as we see our children maturing and getting to a point where apart from even us, even if we as parents were to go astray, that they would remain loving Christ and following Christ, standing for Christ as those who have placed their faith in Him and in Him alone. And we pray these things for your sake and for your glory in your church. Through Jesus Christ, amen.